guys uh ever see that Nick Cage movie Face Off? Yeah. Good. Cause guess what? I took a whole lot of his face off. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the Bomb Squad Podcast. I am your host and master of ceremony, Tanner Richard Kraft, and with me I have... Whoa! I'm Austin Zwiebelman. Tim M. Sullivan. And if you couldn't tell by the... All of this, we are talking about the unbearable weight of massive talent, which is about me. No, I'm kidding. It's about Nicolas Cage, a actual studio comedy from Lionsgate. Don't see a lot of those anymore. Before we get into this movie that is ultimately about our one true God, I just want to know, what do you guys think makes Nick Cage stand out as an actor? What's your favorite Nick Cage movie? And what kind of expectations did you have going into this one? Uh, Before the recording, I guessed that Tim's would be Mandy and Austin's would be Adaptation. We'll see if I'm right. Austin, we're going to start with you for these questions. Nicolas Cage is a fucking rock star. A long time ago, back during like the shit on Nick Cage era of the Bush administration, you know, Waker Man. Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! And his abs and Ghost Rider looking all weird, so people were making articles about how they may or may not be CGI. Back then, when cake ass seemed like a light in a long, dark tunnel. I asked myself a question. What started this crazy trained cocaine city Malibu? And then I noticed he'd won an Oscar for best actor in a leading role. And then at the tender age of 14, I got my hands on a copy of Leaving Las Vegas. And it all made sense. He's a fucking incredible actor. If you give him a perfect script, he's going to give you a perfect performance with a big, Fat bonus on the side, quotable lines delivered in a way nobody else could pull off. From a classical perspective, he's a bona fide actor's actor. I believe I'm quoting Tanner in an earlier episode with that line. I think Uh, I've said that word for word. But sometimes the scripts aren't perfect, right? Sometimes it's a shitty script that he took for money or a project that he thought would be fun to act in because the movie's unique. In those situations, he contributes the best he can to making the movie interesting. Have you guys ever seen Heat, the Michael Mann movie? Classic. There's this scene where Al Pacino yells, Here she got up. Great ass! And that was ad-libbed, actually. They had done a dozen takes of that scene straight, and then Pacino pulled a magic rabbit out of his ass. I like to think that Nick Cage brings stuff like that to the table. Raw emotion, unforgettable delivery, technical know-how, and a face that we've all grown to love over his four decades in the industry. My favorite movie of his is still leaving Las Vegas, though. I should have guessed the alcohol one. Damn it. I think I'm personally qualified to say that nobody ever did a dying alcoholic like Cage in that movie. Expectations for this movie, though, pretty standard. Some things worked, like Nick playing Nick or Pedro Pascal. Some things for me didn't work, like the presence of Tiffany Haddish or the smaller looking scope of the plot. Overall, I knew this movie already took my money and I just had to hope for the best. Back to you, Tanner. I just want to say in my defense, I thought the alcoholic one would be too obvious. (laughs) Tim. The same set of questions for you. And also, what the fuck are you wearing? I'm dressed as Red fucking Miller, you jackass. Who? The guy from Mandy. I just call him Nick Cage guy. I mean, there, he is that. 
Um, yeah, Nick, Nick Cage is just a man who has this great charisma to him that he just brings this energy to any project he's on. No matter, like, if it's a great script, he'll make it an even better movie. If it's a shitty script, he'll make it a fun movie, at least. He always will bring something to the table. Whatever the movie is, he will at least make it interesting to watch. It's no secret, my favorite Nick Cage movie is Mandy. And a lot of what makes Mandy great is what Panos Cosmatos is doing as a director. But if anyone tries to tell me that that leading role could be played better by anyone besides Nick Cage, I will call that person a fool and a philistine. Nick Cage fucking owns the shit out of that role. Panos originally wasn't going to cast Nick, and then it appeared to him in a dream that like that was the way that it had to go, because he was originally going to cast Nick as Jeremiah Sands. He was going to cast him as Jeremiah Sands, and he's like, no, I want to be red. And then he's like, I don't know about that. And he had a dream, and he realized, no, it has to be Nick. And he was right. It, that was, it was perfect. Expectations going in. I've talked about this on uh, one of the vidcasts, uh, the Evil Dead Origins ones, but there is a local horror movie screening series called Late Night Grindhouse. And this past month, April, they screened a double feature of the Panos Cosmatos films, uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow and Mandy. Cody hadn't seen either of those, so I took her to those and uh, we had a really good time. And then as we were walking out, the first poster we see down the hallway, is the poster for The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And I point to it and I say, that's the next Nick Cage movie we're watching. We were both very excited for it. Uh, The trailers looked like it was just going to be a fun ride. And uh, I just wanted to see what uh, the movie had in store. As far as to what I think, what makes him stand out as an actor, Ethan Hawke has uh, often said that the only actor in the past 50 years or so to bring anything new to the art form of acting is Nick Cage. Now, I don't know what that means, (laughs) but what Nick Cage does is he gives you 110% always, even when he's doing something a little understated, like I think his performance in Leaving Las Vegas is definitely one of his more slightly subdued performances, for him anyway. Yeah. He just gives a um, perfect performance for whatever the project may be. As far as my favorite Nick Cage movie goes, I was going to say leaving Las Vegas, but I don't want to copy Austin, so I have to pivot on the move. I'm just going to name a random movie here. It's just a movie that I really love that I'm never going to be able to convince the rest of you to talk about on the podcast, so this is my one soap opera movie for it. Uh, in 2010, Disney released a movie called The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which was a live-action remake of the Fantasia short where Nick Cage basically plays Merlin, and he plays a super badass wizard in it. Jay Burrowshell is the lead, and he's really good in it. There's this amazing Amazing line where the villain Alfred Molina's henchman says, these are not the droids you're looking for. You don't need to see my faculty identification card. These are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> it's a really fun movie. I swear to God, watch it. Uh, Secrets by One Republic is in it, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. The Sorcerer's Apprentice has a lot of flaws, but I really love it uh, because it's me. Um, and I like dumb things. As far as my expectations going into this movie, I remember, I think it was maybe September of last year on Reddit. I saw a post that said, first poster from the unbearable weight of massive talent where Nick Cage plays Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal plays a crime lord billionaire. And I went, ah, Pedro Pascal, 
one of my favorite actors right now off of the heels of Mando and Wonder Woman 1984, maybe the hottest man alive, and Nick Cage, one of my favorite actors in a movie together, I'm in. I knew nothing else, but I think I told you guys that day, I said this is going in the podcast schedule. So I was pretty excited for it right off the bat. The first trailer released, I mean, there's a funny thing where Nick Cage goes, does Javi want me to, you know, <laughs> and uh, just really funny. I'm not sure I understand. Look, if Javi wants me to suck his dick or fuck his wife or watch me watch him fuck his wife, that's a no-go. You understand? That's no bueno. Uh, this next question is going to be exciting. This is going to be fun because I think we're all on a similar wavelength for this movie. But let's uh, just get right into it. Thoughts on the movie overall? Tim, I think we're going to start with you. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, basically, I was going into it expecting it to be a fun time and that's what I got. I really enjoyed it. It does a great job of telling a very like relatable family story with Cage too, like just making him this completely detached person who doesn't get why he can't relate to his daughter. Why doesn't my 15 year old daughter like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari? That bit was so good. I love when he goes back to his ex-wife and she's just like, oh yeah, the little Philistine can't believe she doesn't like this hundred year old German existentialist movie. <laughs> and then I also, uh, when uh, they're talking about their top three movies and Javi is like hesitating and tell them the, the number three and he's just, like batting to do. The kid's just like, what, what are you talking about? And then they watch it and they're both just sobbing. He's like, Paddington 2 is a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> Damn right it is! I still haven't watched it, so I leaned into Cody and I'm just like, we still need to watch this one. So I'm excited to eventually see Paddington 2. I'm sure it's the greatest film. Not, nothing else could beat Citizen Kane but Paddington 2. <laughs> so you have that. I, I really just enjoyed all of the dramatic beats with the family. I loved all the humor in it. One of my favorite scenes is uh, when they finally open that door and it's just all of the Nick Cage props from all of the movies. Seeing the pillow was so funny. That was just like such a great nod to how the meme culture has taken to Nick Cage. And of course, the first thing I saw in that scene when they opened the door was the beast. And uh, let me just say the fact that Javi owns the beast is something that me and Javi have in common. Yes! Oh, shit! This baby forged the goblin in 2020. Really fun movie. It's up in my top five for the year so far. Number two, I think. Even after just seeing The Northman today, I think I still have it above that. I think it's number six on my list. I love that you brought up the memorabilia scene. I still think the funniest part of that is it's grotesque. I'll give you 20000 for it. And I love that they come back to that later and they have this shot where it like dollies so that the reflection of Nick Cage goes <laughs> That was like some sp- Spider-Verse shit. You know how in Spider-Verse when he comes back to the suit and his reflection fits in it then? <laughs> it's just like it Nick Cage so is good. like, I fit in the golden guns. <laughs> Quick question for you, Tim. Did you watch Face Off this week because Javi listed it as his favorite? I watched it because like I, there's a lot of those classic Nick Cage movies that I haven't seen. I did want to get around to watching Con Air. I haven't yet. After the movie, Cody said to me, listen, I'm not saying that we gotta do a Nick Cage marathon, but I'm not not saying that. So we're, we're gonna start doing a Cage Fest. He watched Face Off because Wu is a maestro. You know, I don't think there's a better director that uses doves. <laughs> 
Yeah, there you go. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? You can't fight that. You can't beat that in court. Austin, you've seen it the most recently out of all of us, so you're still riding the high, I'm sure, huh? You know, I gotta let you guys in on a secret. I absolutely fucking hate cringe comedy. I hate watching a person make an ass out of themselves. It gives me really bad secondhand anxiety. Like, I can watch Requiem for a Dream and sleep really well that night, but watching the first hour of the 1997 Mr. Bean movie almost killed me. It almost gave me a heart attack. So when this movie started out and it was just really neurotic Nick Cage fucking up his personal life, I got kind of worried about what kind of film this was going to be. But then there's a moment when Cage turns to Pedro Pascal and decides that it's time for the fucking movie to really start. And from that moment forward, I had a completely excellent time, dudes. It's one of those amazing comedies you could show to anybody. It feels like it also doesn't, like, reduce Cage's career or public life down to something too simplistic, which is a hard line to walk in a screenplay. There was this really funny Reddit AMA that Cage did before the release of this movie where he revealed that he's nothing like the dude in this movie. He's actually a really meditative guy in real life. I believe that. This character that they made for the film is a stereotypical actor who's torn between like a larger than life part of himself that sometimes takes over and the things that are important like family and being happiness and learning to control that part of you that really wants to be the center of attention instead of letting it always control you. Thinking back on that one Spike Jones film, Adaptation, my second favorite, another meta film with Nick Cage as the lead that sort of feels like you've been like fucking kidnapped and thrown in a white van when the tone shifts. But in this, it's just like pure crowd-pleasing 101 give the audience a nice night out when the tone shifts. Like, did you guys think that, like, after Javi and Nick started being best friends and then the cartel stuff was spiraling out of control, that there was going to be, like, a mean-spirited moment where something goes horribly wrong? I remember feeling like, Mm. oh, man, don't stop the wholesome train. Yeah, <laughs> I was I, I remember leaning over to Joe V specifically and saying, I'm praying to God that Pedro Pascal isn't actually the bad guy. I, I feel like a lot of meta films and modern action films like do that kind of shit to remind you like, oh, this is supposed to be the real world, you fucking idiot. But this film didn't do that. So short of, I guess, like the CIA agents getting killed, who cares? They're they're feds. It left all the cynicism behind after like the first 20 minutes. And I kind of liked it. Maybe it wouldn't have worked so well in a vacuum, but they played their cards so well alongside the existing canon of like naturalistic action films. Pedro Pascal has such a kind, vulnerable demeanor in this film, and I cannot believe they gave Mandy a direct shout-out. To conclude, I think that, like, intelligent, feel-good comedies are in really short supply right now, so this was a welcome addition to the genre. I feel like so many comedies nowadays have to have a sad ending. You know what I've noticed a lot of? They've ruined rom-coms. Don't get me wrong. Every once in a while, I'm okay with a rom-com where um, the couple doesn't actually get together at the end. But I feel like it's becoming an epidemic now. <laughs> I can't safely watch a rom-com anymore. I know. I sat down to watch Fresh, and they, he dies at the end. I was pissed. <laughs> I saw this movie first out of all of us because Fandango was doing like a special week early screening. I dragged Joe V to it. Yeah, I loved it. I gave it five stars. I currently have Nicolas Cage playing Nick Cage as my favorite leading man performance in a movie this year so far. I know you're thinking, oh, but he's playing himself. He's not. 
This isn't Nick Cage. Like, if you watch interviews of Nick Cage, this is so not him. It's not even funny. What's not to love about this movie? Like I said, how it was Nick Cage playing Nick Cage, referencing his own career, and Pedro Pascal as, well, his kind of, like, killer archetype of playing seemingly gruff, but actually Teddy Bear Man, which I love. Pedro, if you're watching this, call me. I think the thing that makes this movie work is the bromance. I am uh, ready to say that this maybe is the birth of the new genre, the bro rom-com or the rom-bro-com, because this feels structurally very similar to a romantic comedy. But it's a bromance. It's a platonic brotherhood. There's this movie. I was watching the SpongeBob SquarePants movie over earlier today. Another fine entry into this genre. We need more bromance movies. I Love You, Man is a really good bromance movie for anyone yes, who wants more. Yes, we need more of those. And most like a rom-com, the key is the chemistry between your two leads. And does Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal have chemistry off the fucking charts or what? Holy shit. When Javi is just like, I am so happy you are here. I was like, damn, is that real? Uh, I later found out that uh, Pedro Pascal is actually just a gigantic Nick Cage fan in real life. Mm -hmm. So he was barely acting. It was just accurate. <laughs> you guys have brought up a lot of what makes it work. The LSD scene. Uh, I fucking love the running bit where it's like, are those guys following us? I was like, I bet that is what doing LSD is like. That is I think it just makes you kind of paranoid. That is the quintessential <laughs> acid thing. Yeah, like colors are prettier and you're more paranoid. That is the vibe I've gotten. <laughs> and you try to learn um, a fake language. I think a lot of the supporting characters are great. I love Tiffany Haddish. That being said, I think she's in this movie the right amount. Ike Berkowitz has like three lines, but he has one of the best ones in I'm 44 years old. Why the fuck would I see Crude's too? I've seen Face Off and Con Air. <laughs> so quintessential 40-year-old white guy syndrome. Uh, Sharon Hogarth is in this movie. I don't see her in movies too often anymore, I feel like, so that was fun. It's very fun to see uh, that central plot of this movie revolves around Nick Cage's daughter, who, by the way, he doesn't even have a daughter in real life. He has two sons, one of which is named Kal-El. I'd forgotten over time. <laughs> it's incredible. He named, well, you know where Cage comes from, right? No. Luke Cage. His real name's Coppola, but he, he got his stage name Cage from the comics. He's a huge Marvel Comics fan. Why do you think he agreed to Ghost Riders despite the script? <laughs> Why do you think he did the second one? Why did you think he wanted to be Superman briefly when Kevin Smith was supposed to direct? Overall, though, I think what makes this movie special is that it never feels like it's making fun of Nick. Nick is often asked about all the crappy B-movies he did around the turn of the 2010s, which eventually led to a string of really good B-movies like Mandy and Color Out of Space. But there was definitely a a chain there where Nick Cage was just a total joke. And uh, when he's asked about it in that Reddit AMA, he basically says, some of those movies might not have given out, not have turned out good, but I am proud of every single one of my performances. I never gave anything less than 110%. And I feel like this movie is made with that thought in mind. It never feels like it's making fun of Nick, that it's celebrating him instead. I really loved it. I had a great time with it. And it's really, really funny. But what part is the funniest? Find out after a brief commercial break from whoever buys this ad. Probably PragerU or something. Never shit on yourself. Oh, I shit my pants. Shit again. What fool? His soul's still dancing. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to the Bomb Squad. Podcast. We're going to get right into our next great question here, which is what moment in the movie do you think made you laugh 
the most. This is a movie full of a lot of big old belly laugh moments. Austin, we'll start with you. All right. Everything with Nikki. Okay. Hands down. I have never seen that 1990s interview that he did on Wogan. Shit. I, I've never seen Wild at Heart. Okay. I'm sorry. But I grew up on that Monkey Grip 100 Nicolas Cage freakout montage video up on YouTube and seeing that insane screaming man become an alternate personality was the most interesting and funny thing that happened to me in this whole movie shit i know we don't really have much like any footage of this but there's a moment where de-aged irishman nick cage makes out with regular diegetic nick cage and just like the moment where he yells nick fuck it you know like that it goes on for such a long time it's it's hilarious uh that was a highlight for me just pure insanity the making out was nick cage improvised Originally, he was just supposed to smooch him on the cheek. He said on set, let's make out. And, and the directors were like, it's COVID! <laughs> There's a point where young Nick Cage also punches old Nick Cage in the face, and he makes one of those, like, Bruce Lee doing karate noises, and my soul left my fucking body. I wanted more of that character. I'm amazed that Christopher Lance and COSA were able to do this on a budget of $30 million without the tracker dots or any kind of face rig. Big, Big applause to them. Wow, the Irishman pioneered that technique, and now we get to use it to make Nick Cage young again. <laughs> the future is now. God oh, bless. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Scorsese. I'm sure Martin Scorsese would deem this cinema. We need solidarity. I want to write it in the sky. Tim, what about you? The scene that made me laugh the most is definitely the acid scene. It's so good. Like, Nick Cage doing acid in Mandy is very cool. Nick Cage doing acid in The Unbearable Way to Massive Talent is hilarious. And it's probably more true to the real experience, but it's just so funny. And probably the hardest I've laughed at a movie in a long time. Like, I was just losing it. It's, it's so good. Like, the paranoia of it was so good. And then, like, the, the bit at the end where they're, like, trying to <laughs> climb on each other and he's trying to grab them. There's the dramatic fall and it's just literally like two feet. And then uh, Javi is just like, just walks around. That's just all so good. It was Mr. Just, Cage, I think we could have walked around. Top tier comedy. Funniest scene I've seen in a long time. Uh, the moment that made me laugh the most, it's not the scene, but just a singular moment was, I'll give you 20,000 for it. That's just, the, Nick Cage's delivery of that is so fucking perfect. Um, in terms of what made me laugh the most, I think if I was to pick one, it'd be the scene where Javi, Pedro Pascal's character, uh, out of nowhere, flies Nick Cage's family too hungry with him <laughs> to do an impromptu family therapy <laughs> session and he's all these double entendres <laughs> which that whole scene is really great I'm also partial to the final appearance between Nick Cage and Nikki there's a lot of parts where Nikki is like you're an actor you're a god you gotta come on man and Nick Cage is like I gotta save the day man I think I laughed the most when I realized that I think I predicted it when they said let's make our own movie Pavi I whispered to Joe Frannick and I said they're going to do a movie within a movie. And then I called it and I was right because out of nowhere, Demi Moore shows up and I'm like, that's not Sharon Hogarth. And then it, it zooms out and you see all the audiences applauding him. And finally, this isn't even a joke in the movie, but it made me laugh at the very end, the very last shot of the movie where it pulls out in a shot on Los Angeles and you see an unbearable way to massive talent poster, which they clearly was like the last thing they shot because you can tell when they shot it, 
because in the background you can see a billboard for scenes from a marriage the jessica chastain oscar isaac hbo show that came out last year and why this was funny to me is because i immediately remembered a gif the day a certain episode air of oscar isaac absolutely clapping jessica chastain's cheeks and i just <laughs> thought of that gif and laughed <laughs> everyone else joe looked at me like he was crazy and he was like what's so funny tanner and i was like you wouldn't get it. Full <laughs> end of Joker Jot JPEG. So, this morning, or maybe it was last night, I asked the others, can you help me figure out a fourth question? Originally, I think Austin suggested some shit of what you think of when they smooched. And I said, why are you gay? Uh, instead, we're going to try and do our best Nicolas Cage impression right here right now we'll start with austin so this is a new era in the bomb squad podcast we have performance questions uh, <laughs> so uh this was your idea yeah, give me a break so uh what do you say we cut the chit chat a-hole was that me yes i'm sorry <laughs> what do you say we cut the chit chat a-hole hey have you ever been dragged to the sidewalk and beat until you pissed Blood! Have you ever been dragged to the sidewalk and beat until you pissed blood? Put it in the right file according to alphabetical order. You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Tim, you're next. The are on fire! Tell me, man. They lit her on fire! Two weirdo different types. Whole bunch of them. And then there's some muscle. It didn't make any sense. They're, they're bikers. They're gnarly psychos. And crazy evil. They were weirdo hippie types. It's crazy evil. <laughs> you know, I never really enjoyed the Messiah. In fact, I think it's fucking boring. <laughs> but your voice makes even a hack like Handel seem like a genius. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Oh. It's just the best face! Um. <laughs> We're gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. Steal the Declaration of Independence. I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. To balance out the funny quote, we have a. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I'm in love with you. <laughs> but be that as it may, I am not here to force my twisted soul into your life. I'll take my Oscar right now. Please Photoshop a JPEG into my hand. I'll tell you right now, I'm in love with you. But be that as it may, I am not here to force my twisted soul into your life. And I feel like there's a very specific monologue from Nick Cage's career that I think has been memed the most. It's from his performance as Peter Lowe in Vampire's Kiss. Oh, well, there's no one else in this entire office that I could possibly ask to share such a horrible job. You're the lowest on the totem pole here, Alva, the lowest. The Lewis, Lewis Griffin. <laughs> Do you realize that? Every other secretary here has been here longer than you, Alva. Every one. And even if there was someone here who was here even one day longer than you, I still wouldn't ask that person to partake in this such a miserable job as long as you are around. That's right, Alva. It's a horrible, horrible job. Shifting through cold contract after old contract. I couldn't think of a more horrible job if I wanted to. 
and you have to do it. <laughs> you have to, or else I'll fire you. Do you understand? Do you? Good. So there's no problem then, is there? And you have to do it. You have to, or I'll fire you. Do you understand? Who's ready for uh, Tanner's Trivia Corner? Tanner's fucking Trivia Corner. <laughs> fun fact, this is a fun one right off the bat. This is Nicolas Cage's 100 film in a leading role. Whoa. Wow. Hell that is yeah, so yeah. perfect. That is literally Cage. so perfect. Fun fact, I actually read parts of this script because it was on the blacklist back in 2019. The filmmakers wrote this without Nick Cage's knowledge. They just kind of went out on a limb and hoped he'd say yes. They worked in TV. Uh, the original script, you know that the opening scene, there's that cameo from David Gordon Green? Originally, this was going to be a scene where Nick Cage was literally chasing after Quentin Tarantino to earn a role in his next movie. Apparently, either Quentin said no or Nick Cage wanted to work with David Gordon Green instead. Uh, I'll also say this. Apparently, they also considered asking David Lynch to do it. And my God, that would have been incredible. But I'm happy with David Gordon Green. I hope uh, Halloween Ends is better than Halloween Kills. Nick, we're excited to have you for the fucking role. Nick Cage thought that Javi was the best writing character in the movie, so much that he even asked to play that character because he thought it'd be more meta if he played his biggest fan than playing himself. However, when Pedro Pascal was eventually cast, he accepted that he was going to play Nick Cage. According to Tiffany Haddish, when she met him, she told Nick Cage a story about having sex while watching Face Off as her first time having sex in a movie theater, I think. So basically, I was at the movie theater seeing Face Off. Nobody else was in the theater, really. It was just us in the back of the theater. As I was achieving a um, momentous moment that I had never experienced in my life, um, I opened my eyes, and the eyes of Nicolas Cage are looking into my eyes. Cage laughed about it and, quote, said it was a symbol of their impending marriage, whatever the fuck that means. According to Neil Patrick Harris, uh, Nicolas Cage had full body makeup to cover his tattoos. When uh, he asked Cage why Nick Cage's character doesn't have Nick tattoos, Cage says the character, quote, doesn't have as many wives as him. What a line. Nicolas Cage handpicked Tiffany Haddish based off of a recommendation from his friend, writer and director, Facebook's own Paul Schrader. Please put up a particularly funny Paul Schrader Facebook post here. <laughs> In real life, when Nicolas Cage is referred to as his nickname, it's spelled N-I-C, Nick Cage. The film, however, makes it clear that this film's lead character is spelled N-I-C-K, Cage. This is to, quote, make it clear that while the character is based on the actor, it is still, in fact, a fictional character. Apparently, that was part of why Nick Cage agreed to do it. He had to make the filmmakers make it clear that this isn't him. On the same page, the, the Nick Cage character within this movie, apparently, canonically, doesn't belong to the Coppola family. You want to deal with me, Javi? You deal with me, but I'm begging you, please, please leave my family out of this. For the first time since Fast Times at Richmond High, Nicolas Cage is credited in this movie with his full name, Nicolas Kim Coppola, because Nick Cage is credited as Nicolas Cage. Nicky is credited as Nicolas Kim Coppola. God damn. Really funny detail. Tiffany Haddish's character in the original script was a male CIA agent described as a wary, overweight man. It was named Irving Dunkeskin, uh, a.k.a. me. I'm a very wary, overweight man. Fun fact, Pedro Pascal was not the first actor cast as Javi. Originally, Javi was going to be played, and I'm assuming his name would have been different too, was going to be played by Dan Stevens. The Beauty and the Beast. 
the guests. From Beauty and the Beast and from last year's incredible I'm Your Man. If you haven't seen I'm Your Man, go watch it. It's really, really fucking good. I swear. Austin, that goes to you too. I know you haven't seen it yet. I will break into your home at three in the morning and make you watch I'm Your Man. Man, that's a Tuesday for us. And finally, there was a sequence that was shot that involved Nicolas Cage reprising some of his most iconic roles, like in Face Off, Con Air, Leaving Las Vegas, and Gone in 60 Seconds, in a long black and white fight sequence between him and his younger self in a surrealist German expressionist set evoking the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It was cut from the film as the studio thought it, quote, didn't fit the third act. According to Cage, this deleted scene will be released on the home media release, so I can't wait to watch that when it comes to home media because that just sounds fucking incredible. That's a really exciting deleted scene. I haven't been this stoked since Little Shop of Horrors, colorized, don't feed the plants. God, I still can't believe they thought a good ending for that movie would be a happy ending. For the audience back home, Little Shop of Horrors is my favorite stage musical ever. So when I first watched the movie after watching the stage play and even being involved in the crew of the stage play at some point in my life, I was severely disappointed. Uh, that wasn't Rick Moranis' fault. He is perfectly cast. So let's move right into our final thoughts on the movie overall. Tim, we're going to start with you. So first, I just want to mention something that I forgot to mention on the uh, first question, which was uh, me and Rain worked on a film last year called Red Night at Skies, which uh, featured an actor named Bill Mosley, who you might recognize as Otis from The Devil's Rejects, House of a Thousand Corpses. He's been in a few horror titles. And uh, last year, he was also in a movie called Prisoners of the Ghostland, which starred Nicholas Nick Cage. So... By uh, degrees of separation, me and Rain are two degrees from Nick Cage. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. That is my flex for the cast. Uh, Having said that, uh, it was a lot of fun. I would definitely recommend checking it out, even if you're not like super well versed in uh, Nick Cage's stuff. Like I haven't, I've I've seen a fair bit of the stuff he's been in, but I wouldn't call myself a Nick Cage connoisseur or anything. But I still had a really good time with it. You don't necessarily need to know all of his roles to like get something out of it. It's just a really funny movie with a a pretty engaging story uh, overall. Just a really good movie. Go see it. Austin, you go right ahead. In a world where memes can't be utilized for corporate profits because the internet always sees through the marketing, one film stands alone, capitalizing on over a decade of viral cage nostalgia and the man's whole career since the 80s. This summer, the unbearable weight of massive talent. What if Nicolas Cage was real, but not the actual guy, just a version of the guy that's more neurotic. Critics agree, it's fucking amazeballs. My final thoughts on the movie are, the movie is fucking great! Apologies for the technical difficulties. I have been informed by our legal counsel I'm not allowed to do that anymore. The movie's really good. It's an absolute fun time, a total blast. Please don't sue me for emotional damages. But you know who else is a really big Nick Cage fan and won't sue me for emotional damages? Who? You! 
the person watching slash listening to this podcast, <laughs> if you are listening to this podcast on any of the audio platforms we're on, you don't have any legal liability against me. Uh, but while you're here, please go ahead and leave a review on any of the platforms we're on. It helps boost us in the algorithm or something. Someone has told me it doesn't actually work like that, but I refuse to believe them. If you are watching on Spotify video, hi, we said fuck a lot this week. <laughs> we fucking cursed. I still don't know if we beat Sonic in terms of cursing, but it might be close. <laughs> so how about you go ahead and mosey on down to our Patreon? Uh, and if you donate money to us on Patreon, we can put you in the end cards. And if you are watching on YouTube, thank you oh so very much for watching, and I am sorry. Uh, while you're here, go ahead and go down to the comments section below and let me know. What do you think makes Nick Cage stand out as an actor? What's your favorite Nick Cage movie? Did you like The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent? Is Pedro Pascal hot? And finally, have you heard of our Lord and Savior, Nicholas Cage? Comment below and let me know. And while you're down there, hit the like button so we know how much you like Nick Cage. Hit the subscribe button so we know how much you love Nick Cage. And hit the bell icon so Pedro Pascal will call me. Thank you oh so very much for watching, guys. Tune in next week for the start of what I'm calling Bomb Squad's Marvel May. That's right. The next three weeks, we're going to be talking about all Marvel all the time, baby, much to Tim's misery. Let's go, baby. Next week, we're specifically going to be talking about arguably the Marvel movie that started the craze, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Ooh, that's going to be a big fun one. There's going to be at least five of us, if also not a special guest. It's going to be a really fun time, so make sure you tune in for that one. Thank you again also very much for watching, guys, and I'll see y'all next time. Shutter Goblin. <laughs>